Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, amigas, and welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I am super excited. Well, you know me. I'm always excited. But this one, I'm especially excited because it's family. Yes, I'm going to start doing a series of family members who are pretty epic in their own right. And I really felt that it was essential for me to bring one of my sister-in-laws and her name is Jessica Tapia. And um, this conversation is gonna touch upon reproductive rights of a woman. It's also gonna touch about um, leaving a lucrative job and becoming a full-time mom and all the numerous blessings that come along with that. And then also the fact that she's a millennial. As you know, most of my um, interviewees tend to be my generation, which is is X-Gen. And obviously we have a different way of looking at things. And so I thought it would be super important for for there to be a dialogue uh, between these two generations because, you know, the way she was brought up is very different from the way that I was brought up. And it is super important to know all types of ways of growing up and all ways of, of uh, processing and going about life. And so um, uh, this is my beautiful sister-in-law. Her name is Jessica Tapia. Welcome, Jessica, at Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're so sweet. She's not very shy. I don't know why she's being shy today. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not being shy. I'm just ready. <laughs> I'm assuming this is going to go like every other conversation that we have. So uh, Exactly. Exactly. So it definitely will be very... Just with a mic. <laughs> <laughs> just with a mic. Exactly. Just with a mic. So definitely... Definitely, it's going to be like any other conversation. I always say with my guests, just pretend we're having a, a coffee talk, and and yes. it's pretty much that. So, like I said, um, Jessica is special in my life. She's my so special, <laughs> exactly. Um, my my um, youngest brother's uh, wife, and um, I've always gone along with her. I loved her vibe. I loved her energy, and um, I I've. I've seen her blossom 
from this corporate professional to motherhood and to now endeavoring into a new phase of her life in creativity and really blossoming as a, an interior decorator. And um, so let's start. Okay, Jessica, where are you from? I am from La Puente, California. La Puente, California. Are you first generation Mexican-American? Yes. Yes. So both of your parents were born in the States? No, my mom was not. My dad was. Okay. So kind of a mix. Mix. Mixology right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now I always say that the way we're brought up has tremendous impact on who we are today. Do you agree? Oh, 100%. In, in what way do you think? Our environment shapes us. So what we see, what we don't see, all of that has so much to do with who we become. Absolutely. And so now tell me, um, you, you started doing banking. Now I want to, I want to flush that out. So tell yes, us, yeah. how did you start with the banking industry? I was always good with numbers. I, growing up, I, none of my family, at least my parents, we, we moved out here. We didn't have any family out here. It was just my parents, my brother and I. So none of us had gone to college. My brother didn't go to college and he's older than me. So I remember I had a neighbor who was like kind of helping me um, decide where I was going to go. And she was like, you're so good at math and numbers. And I went to college. Originally, I wanted to go to FITM, but my mom, you know, trying to look out for me was like, I don't think you should do a trade school. Why don't you do, you know, something like in finance because you're good at that. And then if that doesn't work out and if you still want to go to FITM after you get your degree, then you can do that. So, you know, I, I grew up with a, a very, very independent and fiercely ambitious mom who was an immigrated to the States and was an entrepreneur. So, that's what I grew up seeing, you know, that women owned businesses and that women were successful and that women were really the boss. My dad was a boss in his own right, but I saw both of them as very independent and financially stable people. And so I knew at the time that I wanted to make money. That was my drive when I was younger. I wanted to have a better life. And my version of better at that time was just make more money. So I, who doesn't want to make more money, right? Right. <laughs> I know it, it, as you get older, you, the story changes, but at that time it was, well, what can I do to make money? And I went into finance. Uh, well, I first I started with accounting and I ended up um, hating it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I interned for an accountant and it was not for me. Um, and then I switched to finance and I really liked it was like finance and marketing. And I really liked that. And I, it's funny, there's this, there's this point in time where my parents are getting life insurance and this woman shows up in like a convertible BMW to my parents' home. And she's polished and dressed so nice, nice. And she's talking to my parents with all this important paperwork. And I think I'm 18 at the time. And I'm like, <gasps> so I go up to her and I'm like, what do you do? And she's like, I sell life insurance and, you know, I work for this company and once you're 21, call me. And that's what I did. I was in college. I was in, still finishing my degree. I turned 21. I called her and she's like, you should get your life insurance license. You should get your series seven, your 66 and, you know, all these brokerage and annuities licenses, and you can help people manage their money. And I was like, okay. So I, 
this is going to date me, but I remember telling my mom, this is what I wanted to do. And we looked up and we were looking up uh, jobs in the newspaper that had that kind of description that's right because google didn't google did exist. not exist oh my god <laughs> i remember that's that's a that's a uh an x no not x what is a z gen <laughs> i know there was still newspapers when i was uh, i mean they still exist but i remember looking at one at the time was announcing you come and you take this test you know to see if you had the enough acumen to be able to pass a seven your seven and your 66. okay so are, let me stop you there so what are those exams what is they're it just, they're, they're brokerage licenses um that allow you to help people manage their funds um so essentially you're getting there's many different types of brokerage licenses that you can accumulate through the years this was the beginning you get your you know your life insurance your series seven and your 66. So, and I remember reading there that they would pay for you to take the tests and they would also help pay for college. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I signed up. I go one day with like, you couldn't take a calculator. They, they, they say you just show up. And I remember my version of professional, I showed up to this building in downtown LA in Bunker Hill. And you take this two hour, I think it was two hour exam. They just give you pieces of blank paper and a pencil and you take this exam. And there was maybe, I don't remember, maybe 60, 70 young kids like me taking this test, trying to get into this program at that this, they were offering. So you were like 21 years old at this time? I was 20, 21, 22. So I'm taking this test. And two days later, I get results that I passed. And I joined this licensed banker program. At that point, I already had my life insurance licenses, but they're pretty much now paying you to study for, I think it was six months to, was it four months? I don't remember now, but to take your six and your 66. So they're paying you to study up on the 35th floor at a building on Bunker Hill. Every day you would just show up and study and take practice exams and study to be able to be ready for this. I think, what is it, a six or eight hour state test? You can't go and get these licenses on your own. You need to have a bond. You need to have a brokerage company essentially sponsor you for you to get these licenses. So, so this is yes. sponsoring you. But yes. first you have to uh, pass this exam. Yes, to then that lets them know, okay, this is someone who can potentially pass this okay. test because they're not going to let everybody in there. And then they spend who knows thousands of dollars right. paying for your classes, your studying, your hourly wages, your benefits, all of this. Right. And for you not to be able to it's pass this like test. A, it's kind of like an SAT. You need to really do well, well to be able to go to a car, certain college. Yes. So I remember there was like 60, 70 of us. 35 of us made it after the course was over. I think like 20 of us. Did passed. you say 35 of you out of 60 people? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know how many of these you were holding. Cause I remember at that time I was like plus. But that's 11. like less than 50% passage rate. Yeah. It was not. I mean, it's yeah. I, I, that's some people maybe aren't good test takers. I don't know, <laughs> but we passed. And then out of those 35, you know, you get people that drop out because it is as you're taking practice tests. And if you're not, doing well they'll tell you like is now your time to go or do you need to study more and at that point I was already in college and I remember thinking god this is harder than college because it's it, I, I remember I would study from eight to five at work I would get home I would have dinner 
And then I would study until I fell asleep at home. Um, I remember it was probably one of the things I worked the hardest for. I just wanted it so bad because I thought oh, I'm 22 and I'm going to be a broker. You know, <laughs> I was so excited from a, from a big, huge financial institution. Yeah. I, I thought oh, I'm, you know, I'm on my way. So I get my licenses. I pass, I become what they called then. I don't know what they call them now, but I become a licensed banker and was such a great training ground for me because they taught me so much about money, uh, how it works and interest rates and what is an equity and not just so much. I thought I was just going to go and managing people's money, but what is a 22 year old who doesn't own a home or have credit cards know <laughs> about managing people's money? And it really was such a, you know, everything is about opportunities. And I know you always say this, things happen for you, not to you. Me getting into that role happened for me because otherwise there is no way that in my life or in my circle that I would have had the opportunities that I got to be in front of so many different people and talk about money. It's such a personal thing, you know, and I had a desk, people would come to me, ask me for advice. And I remember thinking, wow, like, these are older people with businesses coming to me, this young kid. And I took it very seriously. I took my job. Like I really need to know what I'm doing. I really need to lead people in the right direction. I really need to know what all this stuff is. And coupled with the fact that I was, you know, on my way to getting a finance degree, I, I just, it, it was the perfect environment for me to thrive in. And I think you know, as, as a girl who was born in East LA and then grew up in La Puente, um, I didn't really get that exposure. And as I continue to do well and, you know, move up and, and lean more on the brokerage side, they moved me to different areas. I started in East LA and then eventually I moved into San Marino, which was culture shock because I didn't grow up around a lot of other cultures other than Latinos when I was growing up. And then all of a sudden, everybody around me looks different than me. I'm the only, you know, Mexican American woman there. But it was such a great experience because it just helped me get comfortable around a lot of different environments. I met different groups of friends and my world, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking just how my world was expanding little by little through these professional experiences that I was having. So part of it, luck of the draw that I, that I, you know, worked for this company and a lot of it worked because I, I, I tried really hard to do really well. And to, I really was a student of, of life. I felt like I was coming from such a different place than a lot of my colleagues. Um, I, I didn't have, there was a, I don't want to say nepotism, but I remember there was some, a few students in our class who were there because, you know, their dad was so-and-so or their, and I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have any family here. So I didn't have those type of mentors. I had my parents and I remember they just being super happy for me because they thought she works for a bank. She made it, you know, and then you, you go into that world and you realize, oh my God, just how how much there is to know about money and how little I knew and how little so many people know. And that became just a passion for me at the time, right. teaching. 
um, a lot of the underprivileged or the underrepresented communities about money. Then we would teach kids how to save, the importance of money. We, it was overall such a well-rounded experience for me that I would have otherwise not had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then as I grew and I, I eventually ended up moving on and went into uh, uh, a more private bank um, where I found that I really love to deal with artists and entertainers when it came to finances, because I got to kind of marry the fact that I loved, you know, numbers, but also industry. I loved, you know, being around creative people. And here I was now managing creative and entrepreneurs. And I... I, I feel like I really thrived in that environment. Yeah, you thrived in that environment. Listen, you were saying something about educating the community. So you were basically teaching them like financial literacy. Yeah, we'd have financial literacy courses um, all the time. We called it, I don't remember what Wells called it at the time, but I remember that being one of the most rewarding things that I did. Other than getting my licenses, it was when I sat down one-on-one with you know, the Latinos in East LA who didn't speak the language and teaching them, this is what your bank is doing. This is what, and not, not that it was bad, but helping them understand, you know, how fees worked and some, some simple stuff, yeah. you know, that I felt sometimes, and I, 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 maybe this is, I'm sure this is an assumption, but I feel like, you know, at least the Latinos that I would deal with, they would come and they would just be so happy with the fact that they were able to sit in front of a banker that that was more than enough for them, you know, that they, that they felt they were bothering me. And I, I, they just had a simple question and they weren't worthy of my time. And I remember thinking, oh my God, no, you, you, I could literally spend an hour with you teaching you how to use your accounts and teaching you how to, what not to do and why you're getting, you know, fees. And sometimes it was just a matter of educating the community. And I was happy to be a part of it, but that, that was cool. That was cool. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think our community still to this day needs a lot of education. And in that in that realm, um, I know that for like the boys and girls club, I I believe there's like this financial literacy programs. And I'm I'm hoping that it's something that is um, found in many organizations for these kids, because I mean, what's the first thing that you need to know to survive in this world? how to pay to get your groceries, how to survive. You can't survive without money. Yeah. And money is funny. And it's so sad that they're, that they don't teach it in schools. No, no. So hopefully like organizations like Boys and Girls Club continue to teach kids about financial literacy because it's super important. Well, those people aligning themselves with the Boys and Girls Clubs are the banks. The banks, we, we would work with all these organizations and you know, these groups of, of bankers get together and go out to all these organizations and teach kids the difference between a need and a want, you know, okay, you need, you know, your lunch, you want those new sneakers. And how do you, you know, when explaining to them what a savings is, and I mean, it, it, it's, it sounds basic to probably somebody like you and I, but I was really taken aback by the lack of financial literacy in our education system. Oh yeah. I know. Oh, God. Well, we, we I can, know like, that's a whole nother, that's a whole, yeah. that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but okay. So let's, let's move on with, with um, your new role in the creative and entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial spirit in the banking industry. So you like that as well. Yeah. Well, at the time when I was working uh, for my previous bank, I was working a lot and I had already been married five years. We had talked about having kids, but I was working a lot. And I just remember feeling like I don't, I, I put aside having kids for a few years because I was career, career, career. And then it just hit me where I was like, you know, I'm, if I wait any longer, it's going to be too late and I'm going to regret it. And I happened to help somebody at that time. I was managing an office in Pasadena for the bank and uh, a lady came in. I don't even remember what her issue was, but apparently I was great. And she asked for the man, but, you know, obviously the issue escalated and turns out she worked for another private bank and she was looking to retire. And she was like, I think you'll be great for the role. So she was interviewing me without me even knowing she was interviewing me, gives my name to her bosses and they proceed to pursue me for a few months. And at that point I had been out for so long. I was a loyalist. I didn't know anything else. They were they had helped me pay for college. They, I had learned so much from them. Other than not having work-life balance, I was making what I thought was great money and I was happy, but I didn't know anything else. So I finally decided to take an interview. And I remember I'd go in with like a yellow notepad and maybe two pages of questions. I had looked up their board, see how they were with diversity. Like I wanted to make sure if I was going to make a move, it was going to be the right step. So I did all my homework on the company because it was a much smaller private bank. And I wanted to make sure that I felt like I fit in and all the things that I didn't have at my current job, I wanted to make sure that I can get here. And yeah, after a few interviews, I got the job and it became an environment where I was making even more money and I was working way less and I was no longer working six, seven days a week. And it, it was, it, the stars aligned and we got pregnant within a year of me moving to that new job. So I kept on working. My, I remember my son was about a year and a half and I was working way less than at my previous bank, but I was still working quite a bit. Um, and this entailed more, you know, now when you're dealing with the entertainment industry, you're, you're going to lunches and to dinners more. And it was a lot of fun for someone who didn't have kids and was young and I got to just, Oh my God, I was all the living best my best meals, life. All the yes. best meals, all I was, the best cocktails, yes. all the latest stuff. Yes, everything. I was living my best life, dressing fancy all the time to work and loving it. Um, like if you if you wanted if you wanted a closet to raid, it was her closet you needed to raid. Oh my God. <laughs> I still I still have a lot of those outfits, but um yeah. And had my son um went back to work about seven, eight months later, the company was great about giving me time off. But with that said, I asked, I remember, I remember making a promise to myself when I moved banks and saying, I'm no longer going to be this passive person that just is going to work hard and keep my head down and they'll notice me. Which is something that is very common and typical in our culture. Well, that was me. And I don't know what hit me, but I remember thinking if I'm going to take this leap and I'm going to leave this bank that I've been with for 13 years, I'm going to make it different because if I'm the same way that I am here over there, then I'm going to experience the same things. So not just my environment needs to change. I need to change. And I just remember, you know, that vision you have of yourself and how you picture yourself in whatever role you're in at the time, whether it be you're a mom. So you picture yourself as a super mom or well, however you picture yourself. 
I had a picture, I had a picture of myself as a banker, you know, I was this like fabulous, confident, smart, knowledgeable, well-dressed, poised, sharp woman in my mind. Doesn't mean that's not, that's not always how I came off, but I made a choice when I moved that I was going to try and be as much of that person as possible. Someone who spoke up, who asked for raises, who asked for reviews, who asked for more money if I felt I deserved it, who didn't just take no for an answer and questioned why. Obviously, with you know, tactfully, but I just decided I was going to be a different person. Yeah. N- not that I was bad before, but I think I was just naive and maybe not as confident and maybe more fearful. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I don't know how, but when I moved to my other bank thinking this is my opportunity to be that person, you know, and I took it full throttle and I loved it. It was a glimpse into, wow, this is when you believe you are everything that you say you are, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was awesome. Anyways, a year and a half in, I have a baby. I'm working less, but still a lot. And I remember one time my son at the time calls my mom, his grandmother, who was helping me watch him, mom. And it was like, (gasps) I think the first, the seed had been planted that maybe I want to stay home. Maybe I don't want my son calling his grandmother, mom. Like for a long time, my husband and I would talk about, oh, we just want more for our kids. And I think that's the first time where the dialogue changed for me where it was like, well, what is more? Mm-hmm. Is, is more money? Yeah. Because they don't need more things. You know, my husband had a great job. I had a great job. We had a lot of things, but it just hit me that more wasn't more money. What if more meant more time, yeah. more quality time with my kids, more at home time, more time with my husband, more time for myself? What if that's what more meant for me and my family? And then I spent about six months convincing myself that I could do it and I could walk away from at this point, you're looking at a 16 year banking career. And I was like, multiple I six figures. Yes, I could do this, talking myself through it. You know, I had never really financially relied on my husband, even though everything was together. I just always had my own successes. So that idea, I think, was harder because it was like, oh my God, what's it going to look like? Am I going to have to ask him, like, can I buy this sweater? (laughs) I know. I was so nervous. I was so nervous about that stuff. But as time was passing, my son was growing and I realized I wasn't getting any younger and I was missing it. I was missing it. And my mom would get home. I'd get home and she'd tell me about all these wonderful things he did. And I resented her for it. And it wasn't her fault. It was, I was following my career goals or my dreams. And then eventually I just came to the conclusion that what I wanted changed. Obviously it took a lot of soul searching and more than a year. I, I remember I gave my my boss, like a six month notice. (laughs) I like totally planned my exit, found my replacement. I was such a typical, yeah. Cause I was, I wanted to make sure that if I have to come back, like if I don't like this, the door's like wide open for me, you know, it was was, a bit ajar. Yeah. I was, I was just like, okay, I need to leave everything in the best way possible. And then 
you know, we had been trying to have another baby for a bit and I found out I had endometriosis, which I got after I had my first son and I was going to have difficulty getting pregnant by then. I had already done a few surgeries to remove scar tissue. And I remember my doctor saying, you're young. If you want to try now, I would do IVF because you can try for a long time and it can happen or can't. And there's no way to tell, but if you wait, the longer you wait, your eggs are just going to get older. And, you know, the likelihood of you getting pregnant goes down with age. So if you're going to do it, do it now. And I kind of pursued that having a baby the same way I pursued my career, which was like the last day of my job was my first IVF appointment. <laughs> and I took it as like my job. This is now my job. I'm going to produce another baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I'm going to make another baby. I'm going to put all my energy into IVF and getting pregnant. And again, building that dream of like, I'm going to have another baby. I don't want to, you know, regret because at that point I knew a lot of women that, that I worked with that had chosen their career over kids and either didn't have kids or had one and always said, I regretted it. And I don't want to be that person. So, you know, I, I retire and I start the journey into IVF, which was about a good year, um, completely underestimated that I would need to process the fact that I was no longer working. So I think no longer working, all of a sudden I'm a stay-at-home mom and I was doing IVF, so I'm injecting myself. I did one round of IUI and then two rounds of IVF with extraction. So that's a lot of hormones. And I'm, I say that because I'm sure that did not help my feelings, but I went through like that, that year of me being home and going through IVF was rough. It was so rough. It was so dark because I, now I can talk about it, but up until that time, my whole life, I had kind of just been chasing my dreams and not really slowing down and, yeah. and, and, and focusing on anything else but like goals yeah so I didn't really have time to process yeah well you were you were a go-getter all the way through planning 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 doing it doing it doing it doing it get it that's yeah. it get it don't don't stop get it yeah and then when something would go wrong I just oh I would just get something else I just get it you know just go 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 because that's how my mom was that's how my dad is that's how my mom is that's how my dad is they're just very like there's a way there's a solution for everything you just go you just don't stop like everything is possible and I just kind of had that attitude, but, you know, along the way things would happen that I, I would just not process. I know that now, but I, but then it was just like, well, I'm not going to focus on that. I'll just do something else. So it's, it couldn't have been, it was like the perfect environment for me. I was on a ton of hormones. I no longer had a job. <laughs> I was at home. My husband was adjusting to having, you know, he married this like career woman to all of a sudden this wife who's at home. And he's like, are you going to cook every day? It was so, <laughs> I remember thinking like, I don't even like to cook. <laughs> it was an adjustment for all of us. And, and, and like, just speaking about the adjustment, I know, cause I know your, your wife's story, um, uh, processing through the hormones and whatnot. Um, you know, did you ever get the chance to speak about your feelings? I did. So I had friends and I would reach out to them and I would talk to them and, you know, bless their hearts. There was nothing they could say that was making me feel better. And it's not because they didn't care. And it's not because, you know, they weren't being good friends. They're just, 
nothing anybody said seemed to make me feel better, you know, and I think it was something now looking back, I can talk about it, but it was so lonely, but I think it had to, now I could say like it had to be, but I remember this one time I'm having this conversation with my girlfriend and I'm crying and I'm like telling her I feel this way and I can't really know why, like I should be happy. I'm at home. I get to do IVF. I'm so lucky. Like, why am I not being grateful? Why is this so hard? And her looking at me, like giving me like just feeling so bad for me and, and that making me uncomfortable. And then at that point I realized like, I don't think I can share this journey with anybody. It's like such a IVF is such a it's such a lonely place and I remember I'd go into my doctors and you know the hallways would be filled with people doing IVF women doing IVF but nobody would ever talk about it and everybody would just sit wait their turn go in the office and there's a ton of women going through what I was probably going through but I remember one time like seeing a girl in in the office and thinking like she looks like we could be friends. Should I just go up to her and be like, Hey, do you want to be my friend and talk about how shitty this is? But (laughs) commiserate. Yeah. Yeah. Commiserate. But I never did. And eventually I just kind of became a recluse and maybe a little bit of depression, but I knew I was, I had enough awareness to know this is not me. I need to do something because this feels horrible. This sadness. And I don't want to stay here. And I had a a friend who was a therapist and always advocated for therapy. And I was never opposed to it. I just never had the time. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get a therapist. And she gave me a few contacts. I reached out to her and said, I think I need to talk to somebody. I went and I started seeing a therapist. And I remember telling my mom, like, I'm going to go see somebody. And I remember my mom crying because she's like, what's wrong with you? You should be happy. Like you have everything. You have a wonderful husband. You have, you have a healthy boy. Like, why are you sad? Like you don't need therapy. And I remember telling my mom, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with me, but I, I want to keep it that way. And I think if I don't talk to somebody, things can get really dark for me because I had already had some really dark moments. So yeah. So I started, you know, seeing a therapist and it was like, the best thing I ever did for myself but it's so funny because I remember walking in there thinking I'm not gonna have anything to talk about like there's nothing wrong with me I don't know why I'm even sad right now (laughs) you know and then walking in there and like two hours later I was like oh I think I need more time (laughs) well here's the thing about therapy is like okay Mm -hmm. you know you're talking about the hormones and just this you had so much you needed to grieve the fact that you left something so significant significant in your life and you never did that and then you jumped into another thing because that's who you are you go into one thing into another without discussing really truly a one-on-one to really with myself with yourself yeah to dig really deep in there yeah and so I think that this will resonate with a lot of women, not only millennials who are having kids or having problems with IVFs or anything like that, but even like women my age, ex-gens who are menopause, we're always crying over nothing yeah. or we're being really mean or rude or yeah. obnoxious and whatnot, but our hormones go, you know, in, in a certain direction and we start blaming ourselves like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Oh no. And and it's like, it's okay. 
Like we women need to build solidarity with one another. Yeah, we need to give each other more grace. Yeah, I need to learn to give myself. I'm still learning, but I definitely need to give myself more grace. I don't know where I thought that being super busy and productive meant, you know, and super financially successful equated to a really happy life. Yeah. There was just so much more to it, but I had no idea. Yeah. You know, I remember sitting as a therapist just feeling guilty. Like, who am I? I have this beautiful home, this wonderful husband who loves me, this beautiful, healthy boy. And I'm sitting here crying because I'm now a stay-at-home mom doing IVF, really unhappy. I felt, I felt like an asshole. Like, what is wrong with me that I'm not grateful? Like my parents worked way harder, never had some of the opportunities I've had. And here I am crying about it to paying somebody to listen to me. And but this is this is this is the problem. Yes. Part of the problem of yes. our culture is that you deal with it on your own. No, you need tools. And if you don't have coping tools because they weren't a part of, you know, your parents didn't have your parents did the best they could, but if they can only give you the tools they had. If they didn't have them, you don't have them. Exactly. So you gotta go get them. Yes. And how you get them is up to you, but you definitely need some tools. And I just didn't have a lot of tools. Like I had the tools of always be positive, just go get her. I had a lot of great tools, but I was missing a few significant ones that allowed me to stop and reflect. And I remember going to therapy and feeling like this weight off my shoulders, being able to talk to somebody that wasn't judging me, but was helping me walk through my thoughts you know, like, well, you're feeling this way because, you know, maybe this, and it wasn't about anybody else. It was completely about me. And I think that's the thing with friendships. You know, I can say this now. I feel like I was more of a people pleaser when I was younger. So a lot of my friendships were more about, you know, being there for them and how can I help them? Because I was fine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden when I really needed somebody, not that my friends couldn't, I don't even know if I knew how to ask for help from them because I was so used to being the fixer in all of my relationships. So when I needed fixing, I didn't know how to ask for it, how to get it, how to even begin that dialogue with my friends. And I didn't feel comfortable. And I, you know, you go through the period of like, oh my God, did did I, then what do all these friendships mean? Do I just not have good friends? And I mean, so many things you, you think about, right? Like, how can I be this age and not be able to rely on anybody? But it wasn't that. It was that I did not build on the most important relationship in my life. And that was a relationship with myself. Yeah. You know, I never sat with feelings. I never, and now looking back, that loneliness, that year or two that I spent alone and in therapy, Oh, such a gift. I needed the alone time to get to know myself. I needed the therapist to help guide me because, you know, sometimes your thoughts go crazy (laughs) and you, and and having somebody help guide those thoughts and make you feel like, I mean, there's no such thing as normal, but make you feel like it's okay that you feel that way. This is you just processing. And even now, you know, I still go to therapy and my therapist telling me, I want you to sit with that. No, 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 well, what's the solution? You know, I'll tell her, like, I just want to be able to react better next time. Or why do I have to, why does someone make a comment and it makes me sulk for a few days? Like, how do I just like skip all that and become this like 
super stealth person, like yeah. emotionally. But it's like when you get triggered, it's, it's the best way to find out exactly what's going on. Yeah. There's no solution other than she's like, you sit with it. I'm like, what do you mean I sit with it? She's like, you just sit with it. Don't distract yourself by being busy. When you have alone time, you know, consciously breathe and really think about how it makes you feel, how you feel physically, emotionally, mentally. And through that process of sitting with things and realizing who I am, I became really comfortable with being alone. Instead of that loneliness, I look forward to alone time now because I need it. I'm someone who needs to process. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that because looking back, I felt like I always needed to be around people or I always needed to, you know, maybe fill my mind or my time with others. And now I look forward to when I can have me time and I can process and I can be alone. And I found that I really like myself. Yeah. You know, sometimes in the car, I make myself laugh and I'm like, I really enjoy my company. <laughs> and now I'm comfortable where I can go out to eat and sit by myself or I, I go to a movie by myself. I mean, I really love being alone. Yeah. And as someone who was an extreme extrovert and, you know, considered to have in quantity, a lot of friends, I, for me, it was a journey to get here, to be able to say, you know, as long as a relationship with myself is solid everything else is going to be okay. Right. So the relationship with myself was the most important one that I've built in the last few years. And that loneliness, that sadness that I felt, I think it was a long time coming. And I'm grateful for it now because now I can stand alone and sit alone and not feel lonely. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place to be. But I had to sit with that uncomfort for a good year and a half of feeling like all these feelings that I probably hadn't felt in years that I kept on avoiding all my past mistakes all my interactions just reflecting on so much that's what you do when you have time and you're you know you're injecting yourself so I couldn't work out so I didn't have those endorphins I I think a few months I was on bed rest because once I got pregnant I'm one of those that just gets really sick and so I think I was on bed rest for four months a few trips to the, the emergency room to get some IV because I would just throw up so much. And all that time I realized, and we talked about this a few days ago, like nobody's going to come save me. Mm -hmm. Not even my husband, who's my hero is going to come save me. I need to save myself. I need to figure this out. And in that loneliness, I found myself. And now I say like the loneliness now in a positive way no negative connotation. Like sometimes I love being in the loneliness, mm -hmm. you know, because it's when I can really sit with who I am and who I, who, what's happening and not be persuaded by others or not compromise what I want or not compare. And it's so easy to stay focused when you're just really focused on yourself. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you you had that opportunity to sit with yourself oh, yeah. and get to know you get to know jessica i would have been a really exhausted person right now if i hadn't <laughs> right right yeah and i think that there's um a lot of amigas out there who still don't know themselves yeah. you know and so it's super important to talk either with a professional or get involved in in um in programs 
that teach you about developing yourself, your personal self, because I think, I mean, what I did in my life as a, someone working as an attorney, now I have what, 21 years going on 22, but um, for the first, for the 17 years of not really doing anything, meaning just day in, day out, day in, day out, going and through the motions, going through the motions. And meanwhile, the body's breaking down and you're not really paying attention because this is all, you know, and what, am, what else am I going to do? I can't just leave it alone. And you feel guilty for leaving alone. You have these like cultural expectations Oh yeah. and, and um, how do you measure up? And so there's all these feelings. And I think that as amigas out there, let's realize that we first have to pour everything into ourselves first, yeah. oxygen mask first, mm-hmm. and then others. And I, and I love what you were saying about, you know, you finally had the opportunity to process, process years, years. of not processing. It was like, I got hit by a bus for a year. It was so hard. But now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so thankful for that time that I had to myself, that I had the wherewithal to seek help and that I still go to a therapist. And, you know, I was, I I was a little bit more shy about saying, oh, I'm going to therapy, but now I actually advocate and tell my girlfriends because I want to normalize the fact that how is it that you, you, you need a trainer to get physically fit? You need a teacher to teach you a new subject. You know, how, how is it that we haven't grasped the idea that we don't have all the tools to deal with our mental and emotional well-being? Yeah. And that is okay, just like we don't have all the other tools for other things. Yeah. And it's okay to go find somebody who does so that they can share those tools with you. And I think if anything, now those coping tools now allow me to understand when I'm feeling a certain way and they give me a much better understanding of myself and I'm able to really, I I don't know how to say this, but you had mentioned something earlier about, you know, we're always kind of chasing and the only person you should be comparing yourself to is the person that you were yesterday. We're always trying to better ourselves, but it should really be, I think having the time to ask yourself, like, who do you want to be as a person, irregardless of everybody else around you? And sometimes it's hard to shut off the noise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is hard, but it, but, but it's also can be so rewarding when you finally figure out that it's not after all, you can, you can. You need to carve out that time for yourself. Yeah. And then it just becomes part of, it just becomes habit. Now for me, I need those daily check-ins with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now that you're checking in with yourself and I'm going to check in with you about one of the things that I always ask my guests is if they can share a tip or two on how an amiga can handle her shit, because obviously you have, you know, you've been up and down with emotions and hormones and up and down in the financial districts and, and just making shit happen for yourself. So do you have any tips? Yeah. Well, you said two. So (laughs) let me see. Uh, Give yourself grace. You fuck up, give yourself grace. You say something you didn't mean to say, 
give yourself grace, apologize and give yourself grace. You know, you make a mistake sometimes even with my kids now, like I do something and I'm like, oh, I overreacted or oh, I didn't give yourself grace. Ask yourself what makes you happy and give yourself grace and sit with it. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. You don't have to sometimes fix it. Sometimes there's no fixing it. Sometimes you have a shitty day. You sit in that shitty day and feel all the feelings. Don't numb it by, you know, whatever your coping mechanism is, whether it's drinking wine or going out with your friends or whatever distractions you have, sit in those feelings and think about how it makes you feel emotionally, mentally, physically, and process. So process and give yourself grace. Those would be the two things. And in that, you will find a space, you know, in that quiet time, in between your thoughts is where you are. Mm -hmm. And the more you find that person, the more you connect to that person, shit's going to happen. But I, I just feel like the easier things will be. Yep. It's the thoughts between those ears. Yeah. You're that person. That you are space. not, you are not your thoughts. You are that person in between those thoughts, those empty spaces, and you need to create that. And it's crazy when I, when I, you know, we talk about Eckhart and yeah. all these other people we listen to, but when, when I remember reading where he described it as there's so much going on and your, your mind is racing. Have you ever thought about like not thinking about anything because that's where you are. That's where you'll find you mm -hmm. in that blank space. Yes. And if you don't consciously create that space for yourself, it just, it's not going to happen because your mind has already, it's so used to always thinking about things. The moment something's not going on, well, now let me think about this. And now let me create this other problem for myself. And now let me, you need to consciously create that space for yourself so that you can process. Wow. That's fantastic. I love, I love, I love process give yourself some space and grace right yeah well thank you so much jessica oh, for, for being me. on amiga handle your shit podcast that's right that's right amigas we'll see you next time thanks for listening to this week's episode of amiga handle your shit podcast if anything resonates with you today please share it with your friends and subscribe rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player don't forget to share it on instagram facebook and other social media platforms if you have any questions comments or feedback for us you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com thank you so much for listening gracias y hasta la próxima